Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be in one of the most famous stories in the scriptures. You don't have a Bible? No big deal. It's going to be up on the screen for you in just a moment. A number of years ago, I was sitting in a class at Cuyahoga Falls High School, and it was a pretty rowdy class. There was the, the wrong group of people in a room together. You know what I'm talking about? about four or five guys who we were so, uh, so uh, just rough on the teacher that she eventually moved us to the four corners of the classroom so she could try to, try to make sure that we didn't have, give her as many problems as she had. And one day she was really upset and we had been really bad. In fact, she had sent somebody into the back hallway because of just how, how bad we'd been in this 11th grade class. And she was standing up, we were in the media room at Falls High School, she was standing up on the stage that we would film the school show on, and she is yelling at us, and she just says, I can't take anything else from this class, so open your books, you read silently the rest of your time here, and not a peep out of any of you. And as she went to descend the stage, she tripped over a monitor and fell into a desk that was right there. Now, everybody else in the class had the sense to just go, but an idiot named Matt Skifstead went, as she did that. Her face got as red as a tomato. She said, skip that out in the hall. And I got out in the hall, and I, I knew I was in deep trouble, and she made me wait. You know what I'm talking about, the wait, you know? And she knew I was going to get it. So I thought, or I knew I was going to get it, and she knew what she was going to do. So she comes out, and just as she comes out and begins to rant and rave in my face, I see the lead principal for the entire high school standing. He had come up the stairs to the third floor. And he's looking at me, and she lays into me. And she laid into me, if this was my face, this was her face. She was right here, screaming at me for my disrespect and my insubordination, and, and I'm going in and writing you a pink slip, and literally her spit was hitting me in the face as she's screaming. Now, I can't remember everything that she said. In fact, it was a rant for the ages, but I want to tell you, she said, you can stay out here for the rest of this class, and when it's over, you can come in and you can get your pink slip. I got a week's worth of detention. I remember that. It stunk. But what I was more concerned about is what the lead principal was going to say, because he had a reputation for being a tough guy. He also was one of the few people in the world that could pull off a mustache. He was, he was tough, right? <laughs> so he waits until she finishes her rant, and I am terrified because I really wasn't scared of her or I wouldn't have went, but <laughs> I was certainly scared of him. He was an intimidating fella, and he began his slow stroll towards me like this. And I thought, this is it. My life is over. If he yells at me like that, I am going to cry, you know? <laughs> and so he gets real close to me, and he waits, and he looks up, and he just inhales like this. And he said words that I will never forget. Don't remember her rant. I only remember what he said. He said, she got you good. <laughs> and he walked away <laughs> like that. <laughs> I was so pleased that he showed me mercy. So pleased that he showed me grace. And isn't it true that sometimes it's not the rant that you remember, it's the one-liner, you know? It's the one thing that said that, that you go, oh, you know what, he's a nice guy. He didn't feel the need to pile on right in this moment, Right? A sweet fella. Here I thought he was a meanie. There's a proverb, that, a proverb that says in chapter 15, verse 23 of the book of Proverbs, to make an apt answer is a joy to anyone in a word and season, how good it is. His looking at me and saying, she got you good, that was a word and season. I didn't need to be yelled at anymore. Just the fear of him walking towards me had done enough. 
I'm going to tell you a story and read a story uh, to you today from John chapter 8 that truly is a word in season. It's a moment in the history of the Bible that changes lives, it changed theology, it changed trajectory. It made the church itself think about how it was going to operate, and it was a moment that Jesus didn't plan for. But he gave an apt answer, which was a joy, and he gave a word in season and how good it was. We're going to talk today in our second, uh, second sermon on this series, Four Word, The Power to Shape Lives. We're going to talk today about the wise use of power, how our words are so very powerful, and how we can use them wisely to shape the lives of others. Jesus gives us a great example in John chapter 8, verse 2 and following. Are you there? Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Now they said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now they kept on questioning him, and he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone among you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. One of the most famous stories from Scripture, Jesus perhaps with one of his greatest one-liners. In fact, in the old King James, he who was without sin cast the first stone, right? You know that quote, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. For those of you who grew up in church, you know those quotes. They resonate in your ears. An incredible story from the scriptures. This particular passage was being quoted from the earliest church fathers because of the power that it held. Jesus recognized in this moment what he was going to say was going to change at least one life. It was going to mold the theology of so many people standing with him there at the temple court, and it was, in essence, going to change the trajectory of what came to be known as his church. That moment where he stoops down on the ground and begins to write is one of the most powerful moments in the entire corpus of Scripture, because Jesus is taking his time and giving a response to a very prickly situation. Now, Jesus was in the temple on that day, not up in Galilee, which is in the north of Israel. That's where Jesus usually ministered. We find out in the book of John that he traveled south to Jerusalem a number of times during his ministry, usually to observe a festival. And usually when he ends up in Jerusalem, he ends up in these pretty contentious situations. In this particular situation, these leaders from the temple in Jerusalem and from the establishment in Jerusalem are coming to challenge him. They don't like the authority that he speaks with. They don't like the way he interprets the law. They don't appreciate the fact that he is becoming more powerful than they are. So they're looking for an opportunity to trap Jesus, to get him to say something that'll get him in trouble. And so they pick this moment where he is unawares, not interested in what they've got going on. He's in the temple teaching other people. They pick a moment to bring a mock trial before him. He didn't have authority to speak into this situation. They knew that. 
Jesus knew that. Certainly he had authority as the son of God, but nobody there was acknowledging that that's who he was. For all they knew, he was a crazed Galilean preacher. Why are they bringing this woman to him? He, he understood the stakes. Because on one side of this story, if Jesus would have said, go ahead, stoner, that's what the law says, which if you really look into the book of Leviticus, it doesn't quite say that. It doesn't prescribe the mode of putting somebody to death when they're caught in a situation, but that's, that's splitting hairs. The point of the story is, is that if he says, go ahead, guys, do what you must, then he's going against the Roman law. And the Romans were the ones who held the power there in Jerusalem. They weren't allowed to take the lives of people who had violated Moses' law. If they were going to give the death penalty, they had to take that before a Roman official. On the other hand, if he goes ahead and says, no, you can't do that. That's a really bad idea. Don't stone this woman. <gasps> Jesus doesn't follow the law of Moses. He's not a good Jew. Don't listen to him. This is a no-win situation. Which law do you break? Jesus stoops down and writes in the dust, disarming them with a pause, and then standing with superior wisdom. He saves a life. He disperses the crowd. What a moment in history. Think about all the things that Jesus does with his wise use of communicative power here. He diffused rather than escalated the situation. He caused the people to stop and think about their actions. He chastised the haughty. He gave them a new perspective. He stopped a lynch mob. He upheld one law without breaking another. He saved a life. He showed mercy and grace. He called her to righteousness, and he gave no one cause to condemn him. Go and do likewise. Let us pray. <laughs> I mean, really, pretty powerful what Jesus was able to do with like three sentences here in a no-win situation in the middle of a moment that he had not asked for. I love that moment when he stoops down in the dirt. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the mind of the righteous ponders how to answer. Jesus was a man and God who was filled with the Spirit, and he was doing things through the Holy Spirit. In fact, he said in his ministry that he didn't speak anything that the Father didn't give him. And in this moment where he ponders how to answer, he gives us a beautiful thing to think about. Because our words have power as well. We talked about it last week for quite some time. The things that we say can change lives. It can develop or underdevelop certain people's theologies, it can change the trajectories of families and schools and workplaces. Jesus knew that the words that he spoke had this type of power. Jesus didn't seek out this encounter, and that's another thing to mention before we go any further and talk about what we can glean from this story. He, he didn't seek out this moment. How many of you this week have had a moment where you are in some communication that you did not seek out and you would have rather not been there? Somebody came up to you and gave you the dreaded we need to talk, right? Whether it was a spouse or a coworker, maybe your firstborn child who, you know, runs the house, whatever it might be. You, you, you heard that and you were concerned that you were going to get into the conversation that you really didn't want to be in. Jesus didn't choose this moment. Isn't it interesting? He didn't choose this moment. This moment sort of chose him. He was in the temple courts sitting as rabbis would teaching those who wanted to hear his gospel, his message, what he was bringing into the world. And all of a sudden, he has given this situation to change lives, theologies, and trajectories. 
You might say, that's all well and good, Pastor Matt, but my words don't have near as much power as Jesus's did that day. And the truth is, you're not Jesus, neither am I. None of what we say is going to become Holy Scripture. It's just not going to happen. But I want to tell you today, your words do have immense power because that classmate of yours, that coworker of yours, that in-law of yours, that child of yours, that spouse of yours, that neighbor of yours, you may be the closest thing to Jesus that they know. You may be the person who is closest to the Lord and Savior of humanity than anybody else in their life. You and the words that you speak have the power to change the trajectory of their life, even to help develop their theology. You say, Pastor Matt, I don't read enough books to develop anybody's theology. It's not what I mean. Theology is merely opinings and thoughts about God. And your neighbors, your classmates, your children, your spouse, they all have thoughts about who God is and what God represents and how God feels about them and how God feels about the world. You also have the same thought, but your thoughts are based in the truth of Scripture. You can develop folks' theology with what you say. Your words have potentially more power than any politician, any preacher, any judge, any policeman. Because your words have been informed by the words of life, the words of Jesus himself. As servants of Jesus, we would do well to ponder how we might use our words effectively. Let me take it one step further, use a little Christianese. We might do well to ponder how we can use our words to righteous effect, as it says in Proverbs 15, 28. So what can we learn from Jesus? I listed about 10 things that he did in a matter of moments, but I'm going to try to pick out three for us that are, I think are incredibly important that can help us as we ponder how to use our words wisely, how to use our words righteously, how to use our words powerfully for the Lord. The first thing that Jesus did is calms the storm. The moment that he stoops down in the ground, he takes a lynch mob and calms them down. They are ready to go out and stone this woman. They're ready to kill her. This is not some easy moment, some uh, moment where people don't have their emotions stirred up. This is a big moment. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Jesus very easily could have blown up at this situation. He could have very easily gotten angry right back with this group of scribes and Pharisees and leaders of the Jerusalem elite. He could have lashed out at the woman and said, why did you put us in this situation? If you wouldn't have been so foolish, none of us would be here. But he doesn't. What does Jesus do? He pauses. Boy, when I teach couples uh, premarital counseling, I love to teach them about communication, and I love to teach them about the power of pausing. To not play on the same level that your spouse is coming at you with. Because it's very easy for folks in your life to come at you angry or frantic. And I'm not trying to talk about my marriage or your marriage. This is everywhere in life. Angry, frantic, dejected, swearing. It's easy for people to come at you in ways that you're not prepared for emotionally. You're having a nice, easy day. You're sitting there teaching people in the temple, and all of a sudden, a crowd comes screaming, Stoner! 
And then they say, what should we do to you? This happens in our life regularly, not the power over life and death, but we get involved in situations that we didn't ask for. We get bombarded by emotions that we don't carry. And what does Jesus teach us? Sometimes it's better to take your time, to stoop down, brighten the dirt a little bit, diffuse the situation. Now, Jesus risked looking dull or overwhelmed right at this moment. But in the end, he says exactly what he's supposed to say. And Jesus ends up with some great one-liners here, doesn't he? Wouldn't everybody like to have a couple more one-liners in their week? I know I would. Things that just make people go away going, wow, brilliant. But if that's our goal, we've missed it completely. I don't think Jesus was hoping that everybody would walk away going, wow, is he bright. Jesus recognized the power of his words. He recognized the power that he had. And he was going to say exactly what he meant to say in exactly the tone that he meant to say it with the exact intentions of what he had said, backing it up. He paused, he thought, I think perhaps he prayed because he wanted to get the right word said for a moment such as this. Calming the storm is an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing that we can do when we communicate with people. People come with all types of emotions, all types of hard things, and they're coming to us and they are venting. They are giving us something that we don't need oftentimes. But Jesus was not going to play their game that day. He was going to talk when he was ready, on his terms, with words he was ready to say. Jesus was a wise communicator because if he would have flown off the handle and played their game, if he would have come back with anger or frantic or something else, we would probably not be talking about this story. It probably would have been lost to history. The second thing that Jesus does that's incredibly important for wise communicators who want to use their words with power is he takes time to think about who he's speaking to. He knows his audience. Who does he have before him that day? He's got a bunch of angry, vindictive, prideful scribes and Pharisees who are looking to bring him down. He needed to say something to them in this situation. He also is surrounded by a crowd of students, people who want to know more from this preacher from Galilee who's interpreting the law in a different way, who's preaching this thing called the good news of the gospel. They want to hear him. They want to know what he has to say. They want to know how he'll deal with a situation like this. And then there's an individual before him, a broken woman, someone who has acted very foolishly by getting involved with someone that was not her husband. And he's able to speak to all three of these groups and individuals and say something directly to them. Wise people have the ability to alter their speech depending on who they're talking to. And wise people can talk to all types of groups and make sure that they do it the right way. Jesus gave us a clinic here on how to speak to all different types of people because his answer was so incredibly wise. With his words, he's able to send the lynch mob packing. With his words, he's able to teach the students who were there that day that you can remain orthodox in your interpretation of the law, but also show mercy when it comes to people who have failed. And with the broken woman that day, he was able to treat her as a person and not a legal case. And he was 
taking somebody who had acted very foolishly to her own detriment and to the detriment of many other people's lives and show her mercy and grace, which she probably was never expecting to experience from the hand of God. We must be people who know exactly who we're talking to and exactly what they need. Is the person you're talking to broken? Are they in need of affirmation? Are they angry? Are they looking to accuse you? Why are they saying what they are saying? Folks, the emotional intelligence that we as Christians need to operate in is so high. Because we carry the very words of God into this dark and broken world. Jesus was so concerned that he makes sure that his words were used to powerful effect. And he talked to everybody there in the exact way that they needed to be talked to. It's funny that this message comes on Father's Day because it is so easy to watch men use a one-size-fits-all approach to communication. How many of you have ever seen The Sound of Music and remember Captain Von Trapp, right? Maria comes from the abbey, and what is he, te- or what is he treating his children like? Is he treating them like children in need of nurture and, ta- and teaching? No. What's Captain Von Trapp doing? Right? He's got his whistle, and he's treating his kids like what? Navy veterans, because who doesn't treat their kids like Navy veterans? Right? We see the absurdity in what Captain Von Trapp is doing in The Sound of Music. Now, I have to say, I don't use a lot of movie references in church because not everybody has seen every single movie. But if you have not seen The Sound of Music, what is wrong with you? All right? Come on. It's The Sound of Music. All right? It's a classic. Go out and rent it. It's probably on Hulu. Anyhow, we see the absurdity in the way Captain Von Trapp is speaking to people, but sometimes we don't think ourselves about how we're talking to the people around us. I've seen men who talk to their kids like they're a football team. Men who talk to their wives like they're a junior assistant at work. And I've seen mothers and wives treat their children like they're a nuisance rather than a blessing. And speak to and about their husband like he's another one of the kids rather than a man. Wise people alter their speech. They know exactly who they're talking to when they talk to them. They make sure that they're not talking down to their spouse They're making sure that they talk to their kids not like they're kind of some kind of football team or a nuisance, but they talk to their kids like they're in need of nurture and teaching from a patient parent. Wise people recognize the different idiosyncrasies of their workplace. Who's there that day? Who's having trouble? Why are they having trouble? Why are they saying what they need to say to me in this moment? I had a very wise interaction this morning just in this very place. I came up to one of the people who was here during worship team practice and I was sharing something that I wasn't happy about that was going on in the building and I I looked at him and I said, boy, that is so deflating. And he looked at me in a moment and he says, but it's going to be real easy for for this to get inflated, won't it? I said, oh, yes, yes, that was very spiritual. I'm going to go preach on powerful words of wisdom. And I left, (laughs) right? Here I was coming with just a sort of a dejected spirit all of a sudden. And he just looks at me and goes, and blows into my spirit something that's really, really powerful. You see, we can have these moments all the time if we know exactly who we're talking to and what they need. What they need. 
Too often we are so reactionary in the way that we speak to people. Oh, they said something to me that I didn't like. Oh, they came at me angry. And we just give them back exactly what they're giving us, forgetting that we belong to Jesus. That we know the one who has the words of life. That we have been changed by the very spirit of God living in us. And we can operate on a different playing field than they are operating on. Jesus knew this, and he did it that day. He knew his audience, and he knew what they were looking for. Now, let me be perfectly honest with you today. There is often times in my life where I speak with people, and I I can't figure out what they're looking for. I have people that I'm chatting with, and things are going on in their life, and I am trying my absolute best to know what they're looking for and to know how to be talking to them in that moment. And I'll tell you, I don't always succeed. But I do have this faith. And I do have this belief. And it's simple and it's infantile, it's childish, but I believe it's true. That even though we often cannot discern the motivations and the needs of the people standing right across from us, God always knows their motivations. And he always knows their need. And even though we feel inadequate to the task and able to fumble over our words like it's our job, God can speak through us, even though we have no idea what we're talking about. You say, Pastor Matt, that's a little bit too real. I don't like that. I want to tell you today, you cannot put the pressure on yourself to be Jesus. I cannot put the pressure on myself to be Jesus to always have the right words, to always be able to analyze the person standing across from us to the point where we know what makes them tick and exactly how to wind the clock. That's not what I'm talking to you about this morning. But what I am talking to you is about this. Do you give God the opportunity to speak into your spirit before you try to speak into the spirit of another? And ask God, what is going on here right now? What would you have me say? And what would you have me do? Because to make an apt answer is a joy to anyone. And a word in season, how good it is. There's a third thing that Jesus did, and this is the last thing I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. It says that, it says that Jesus stoops down in the dirt and they continue to question him. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What's going on here? What do we, what do, we do? And he stands up and he meets the challenge. As I mentioned, Jesus didn't choose this moment. It was thrust upon him. It would have been real easy to try to escape the moment. He could have pleaded the fifth. You know what? I have nothing to say on this matter. I was merely here preaching the gospel. Go do whatever it is you think you should do. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to escape the situation. He also doesn't try to manipulate the situation through his anger. You jerks are just trying to trap me into saying something stupid. Well, get out of here. And you, lady, what's wrong with you? You're ruining everybody's day. It's not what he does. It's often what we do. When we have people come at us and we're not ready to give a response, we meet them with exactly what they're bringing to us, and we try to control the situation through our own anger. We try to escape from it. Oh, can't, can't go there right now. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus took on the challenge and he changed the course of history because this particular story highlights the theology of the church of Jesus Christ. That people get a second chance. 
that mercy and grace are to be our byline. And that no matter what you have done, God can give you a new start. Jesus recognized that any moment can be an opportunity. And that's what we must recognize. Any moment, whether we chose it or not, has the power to be an opportunity. Because if we don't speak into the lives of the people of this world, who will? 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. That's the call on the church of Jesus Christ. That whatever we speak, we speak with the intention, with the hope, with the aspiration of speaking the very words of God to the people around us. And that's what Jesus does in this moment. He displays the Father's heart for his audience that day. The angry, vindictive ones, they need to be set down and have their pride cut from under them. The crowd that was there that day that was listening to him and were bystanders, they needed to know that God's law was firmly set, but that God's mercy and grace was for a time such as this. And that woman that day, she needed a second chance. She needed to be told that her actions were wrong, go and sin no more. But she needed to be told by the very Son of God that I don't condemn you. We live in a world that has a lot of different people coming from a lot of different perspectives. They have mixed up views about who God is, they have mixed up views about who the church is, and they have mixed up views about who they are. But Jesus has the very words of life. And you know Jesus. The Holy Spirit can speak through you. He doesn't have to speak through a pastor or a prophet or an elder, or a televangelist. He can speak through you. But if you don't speak, who will? If you don't offer truth, who will? If you don't speak life, who will? If you don't shed light, who will? We have been imbued with an incredible power as the people of God, a power to shape lives and theologies and trajectories. Are we thinking about using those in the power of God's Holy Spirit for a lost and a dying world? Or are we just going throughout our days speaking whatever may come to our lips? I want to go through my life speaking life to people who desperately need it. And I know you do too. Can we be people who take a cue from our Lord today and say, Jesus, I don't know that I can come up with one-liners like he who was without sin cast the first stone. I don't know that I'm very eloquent. I, I don't know that I have all the theological answers and will always get those things right. But when I am confronted with life, and I need to speak into a situation, I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask you what's going on here, and I'm going to ask you for the words to speak. That's where the power comes from, and that's the moment that we have to shape lives. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?
Father God, we confess to you today that we don't have power in ourselves for eloquence. And we confess to you today that we don't have all the theological answers to give to people at every moment. And we confess to you today that we don't always know the motivations and the needs of the people that we speak to. But we confess today that we believe that you, Lord Jesus, do. You have the words. You have the power. You have the ability to shape the lives around us. We also confess to you today, Lord Jesus, that we don't always say the right things. That there have been people who we've interacted with, maybe even this week, that we've been sending backward instead of forward. Lord, in that confession, there is freedom. Because in that confession, we recognize and we pursue our need of you. We want to be people who speak life. We want to be people who do have answers from on high. Not so people can stand mouth agape at our wisdom, but so that a lost and a dying world may know that there is a God who lives, that speaks through his people to change lives. I'd like us to just take a few moments in this place today to take some time to commit before the Lord to the things that he's been speaking into our lives. Our elders and our prayer team are going to join me here at the front right this moment. They would love to have an opportunity to pray with you and for you. You might be in this place and say, Pastor Matt, I'm one of those who you were talking about. I don't know that I have the right words for the situations that face me every day. I feel so inadequate to the task of helping my coworkers, raising my kids, speaking to my spouse. You do not have to live in that any longer. Because I will tell you today, every person in this room has felt that. Our elders would love to pray for you today and simply ask for the Holy Spirit to take control of your consciousness and give you an opportunity to give words of life to the people that you speak to. Sometimes sadness is the birthplace for asking. Sometimes regret is the place from which we ask something of the Lord. But there are some of you today that you don't have a ton of regrets and you don't have a lot of things that you can look at so recently and say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I, I don't know that I've been messing up with my words all too recently. God bless you. I'm so glad that's the case. But I ask you, is today a day to get filled up? To ask the Holy Spirit to come inside once more and to fill you up so that the next time that you're met with that challenge, you are ready to speak those words of life. So in this place, we're just going to take a few minutes to pray. And if today you'd say, Pastor Matt, I need the Holy Spirit to come upon me, I need 
the Lord's help. I got coworkers. I've got students that I go to school with. I've got a spouse. I've got children. And I need my mouth to be filled with the very words of the Lord. Would you come today? Would you allow our elders to pray for you? Or would you, on bended knee, say to the Lord, Lord, I need you. You can come right now. You can come right now just to submit your mouth and your words to the Holy Spirit of God. God bless you today. God bless you for your openness to the Lord. You can pray with an elder or just kneel, whatever the Lord's leading you to do. Jesus said my house should be a house of prayer. That's what we're going to do before we close today. You can keep coming. The Lord wants to speak to you today. He wants to impart something to you. I don't know that because I'm some sort of prophet or magician. I just know who our God is. He wants to speak to you today. Many are coming. Why not you? Why not you? Come and seek the Lord today.